Need more stuff. It's a it's a symptom of a material poverty. <laughs> so if you're listening and uh, you want to <laughs> help with that, uh, subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, Five dollars a month, I uh, get access to the Discord, um, and uh, extra episodes, and uh, knowing that you're you're making a difference, if not in the world, then in our lives. Absolutely, and you know, once again. Zizek and so on relies on listener support. So help keep the podcast running. Give us five bucks a month. Um, uh, yeah, Zizek and so on. I'm Peter. Who else we got here? Michael. Hi. William here. See what I do? I, I see, see what I do? I let you introduce yourselves now. I think I need to. I don't like I it. I think I need to change <laughs> Yeah, I like it when I you. It for you. <laughs> <laughs> We've always had trouble doing that, and it's always yeah. been—it's always been me and Jake uh, fucking it up, and either introducing each other or uh, just one of us. Yeah. yeah, I was really close to introducing you. <laughs> Allow myself to introduce yourself. <laughs> it's like it's like hi, I'm no no no. I'll take this over from here. This is Michael. Hi, I'm Michael. Everybody misses out on how exaggerated your open mouth is <laughs> when you're doing this. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> well, you got to get those round vowels going, you know? Yeah. So we're going from uh, the voice to the gaze. Yeah, was the, uh, we're going from, yeah, the uh, anal object to the voice to the gaze. Oh, yeah. I went to, uh, the day after we recorded our episode, I went with a friend and watched uh, a Buster Keaton movie, uh, a silent film. and. A couple things grab my grab my notice after our after our, our episode. One in particular, I mean, the point that the point about the singularity of the action in in those kinds of slapstick sound films, I found really interesting because it's, it's very true in this instance. There's no action that's outside of this sort of synchronic uh, action, the synchronic action in the movie, like. It's very, it's very, the, the action is all kind of like, it's all there. It's all, it's yeah, like, everything it's is revealed. Yeah. For the eye. Yeah. Uh, and sewn together. Uh-huh. And there's no, there's also no like simultaneity of, what do you call that? Like the, you know, two. Oh, like parallel montage. Parallel montage. Yeah. 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 It's not implying anything other than the action, what's going on on the screen. Mm-hmm. And because it's and also because of the lack, you know, as much yeah. as it can be the case, um, yeah, it's funny. It's like the action isn't lacking. I mean, it's it's lacking speech, um, but there's this kind of there is this like discomfiture in the fact that it, you know, the feeling is at least mine is that it, is that it should have speech to augment it, 
but it really doesn't need it. Yeah, I mean, I guess at that point they wouldn't have. There would be nothing lacking from the viewer mm-hmm. in that moment. But, but now, now it seems particularly bereft of something mm-hmm. when you when you look back at it. And there was like, this is the one. The one I saw is called the General, and it's got this. I mean, it's amazing, like train sequences. It's got the famous one of the train driving onto the burned out bridge and it falls into the river. I mean, they yeah. must have actually done that, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's crazy. It's awesome. Yeah. Is it Buster Keaton or where the train's going really slowly and he's repairing the track? And yeah, he's like, yeah, that's, that yeah, yeah. that's, yeah, that's so yeah. good. Yeah. That's crazy that I did that. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sitting on the um, cow catcher, like the very front of the mm. train. That, that Yeah. Thing. What else was it? Um, we read about that Buster Keaton movie recently for something. Do you remember what it was? It's something that Todd talks about. I know that. Yeah, yeah Todd talks about it. Well, I can't remember reading something about it recently. So uh, I wanted to get, I did the reading, and I wanted to get a, a basis in, in the Contra opinion. Should wait, first, should we describe what we read? Like the yeah. title? Yeah, we read an essay today by one Todd McGowan, and it's called... Looking for the gaze, Lacanian film theory and its vicissitudes. That uh, it is. Yeah. It was published in uh, Society for Cinema and Media Studies. 2003? Yeah, 2003. The year that Michael wore his uh, <laughs> Roy Ferris. <laughs> big year. <laughs> it was a big year. Big year, yeah. Uh, Iraq War. Um, mm-hmm. The Up and Smoke Tour on DVD. Um, what else was going on? A young Joe Piscopo. Uh, I believe Return of the King came out that year. Yeah. So uh, after reading Todd's essay, I wanted to go back and get a sense of what he was talking about. Well, really, actually, it was a, it was a link on... We watched part of his, his video on the gaze on his YouTube channel. And one of the links on that was was just from like one of these, you know, normie YouTube accounts. Um, I forget what it was called. But, but she was doing like a, you know, she was instructing, she was, it was a video on the gays, right? And she was, she was talking about the 2019 movie um, Lady on Fire. Um, and it was exactly this point of, she says that the, the, the power of the gays, you know, the, the use of the word, Power there, I think, is Powers, instructive. Yeah. Uh, how it can simultaneously oppress us, liberate us, and allow us to transcend space and time. <laughs> Sweet, sounds awesome. But it's this idea that you know, the gaze is either uh, a mode of oppression or something that 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 can be uh, like taken up and used for oneself in their own individual expression can you like like what reversing the gaze like rather than sexualizing women on screen yeah so it's like you know this idea that i mean i get the the typical notion of 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 object in this sense or is objectifying like you just said so Mm -hmm. like lacan is talking about the object in a very different way obviously but i think people's the, the typical notion is that the gaze objectifies in the sense of, you know, 
that, that women are objectified in films. Um, turns them to, into an object to be looked at by both the filmmaker and the viewer. Mm-hmm. And the camera, I yeah. guess. Yeah, specifically the camera, I think. Because supposedly the idea is that there's some kind of identification with the camera. Uh-huh. Yeah, the that, camera has the That you as the viewer occupy. And that's where you, that's in, what the idea is that that's where the mastery comes in. Is not the implication then? I mean, that the supposed viewer is always male. Well, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, yeah, it's this notion or, of the male gaze. Yeah, but it doesn't that do the similar thing that that Zizek's critique of Eurocentrism does, where by critiquing the uh, the European tradition as the you know. Uh, white male tradition or whatever, it acknowledges it unintentionally as the universal position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the point in this video was that Lady on Fire, which is a, a film about two women falling in love, um, she says that the film shows us how true love, the willingness to gaze upon someone, to truly see them and accept the same in return, shows that love can stand the, trust, the test of time. A less Lacanian point I've never heard. I've never uh, heard. Yeah. I've never Wait, heard. stand the test of time is is the point that you made that you that you said earlier, where it where the gaze allows us to break the the, the bounds of time and space. Mm-hmm. I see. <laughs> yeah. I don't uh, know what there is really to say about that. Other than yeah, it it just feels very very incorrect. Wait, be, because so because it's a love story between two women. It breaks the, the hold of the man gaze, male gaze, yeah, of the man gaze, and uh, and so the, the the two characters in the film come to s- truly see each other. It's this idea of the gaze as as real, complete seeing, right? Isn't and it also supposes that that the film exists over here on one hand and the viewer over here on the other. Mm-hmm. And that their love story can kind of exist within the film, absent a viewer. Right. Yeah. And this is drawing on, you know, I don't know if she named her, but, but what's her first name? Mulvey? Um, Laura. Laura Mulvey's essay on the male gaze, which is a very um, consequential essay. And when people hear that phrase, the male gaze, it, it sounds like, you know. It's pretty. It it's a like pretty it's a convincing thing. term. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like it's pretty. Yeah, it seems pretty obvious what is meant. My friend once asked me if he had the male gaze when he was cutting carrots. <laughs> uh, I think that's more of castration, than- <laughs> Yeah, but it's this yeah, idea that the gaze is essentially a kind of either a liberatory gesture or a kind of aggressive force that's imposed on objects, mm-hmm. and it's this. Well, well, actually, objectifying looks. It seems that this person is saying that. However, I think what Todd is describing the 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 Lacanian, the standard Lacanian, yeah, yeah, film analysis. That up a little bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just so, I was just trying to start in the on the kind of parochial, like how you might encounter yeah. the gaze, you know, just in in pop culture on YouTube, whatever. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah, I think what you what that example is like is like the standard kind of political narrative these days of like reappropriating something and reversing it as as a kind of site of liberation mm-hmm. right yeah so he starts describing with describing the kind of standard lacanian 
school of film analysis. Right. Um, I got some excerpts here. I guess actually to set this up just one more time, how do how do we arrive at this topic for this week? Uh, through Hitchcock, right? Right. Uh, available in our uh, exclusive patron uh, feed. And we were talking about the Zizek's phrase, the Hitchcockian blot, the element in Hitchcock's films that that sort of, um, in some in some way, incorporate the viewer, the spectator into the film. The, the prime example being the overhead objective shot of the gas station on fire in the film Birds, in, mm-hmm. into which uh, the viewer see, uh, thinks they, they get kind of like this objective shot of the situation, the, the bird's eye view, so to speak. But um, then the, the birds enter the frame and you become aware that you're seeing the below scene from their angle. Yeah. A bird's eye view, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is the distinction between object R and object of desire. Right. So in the birds, the object of the spectator's desire is a successful escape from these birds. But the object R is actually the birds themselves. Right. And we, and we realize in this tracking shot that, that the apparent neutral objective shot from above of the of the scene below is actually the, the view of the birds. Mm-hmm. The, the birds themselves are this kind of chaotic manifestation of the mother's desire, correct? Or yep. the, fa- the failure of the, of the maternal superego to symbolize. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're thinking, about, we're thinking about the gaze and another obvious connection with Hitchcock would be Rear Window, mm-hmm. where it's all about the gaze and and as Zizek describes, his focus on the window is an attempt to um, distract himself from his failure to to connect uh, with Race Kelly. Yeah, yeah. And importantly, the the point of the gaze in Rear Window is when Jeff sees the neighbor and they lock mm. eyes, and it's this moment of "What do you want from me? What is it that you desire?" Right. So, so Todd does say that the, the kind of privileged medium of thinking about the gaze is film. And so we're mm-hmm. here back again talking about film. Uh, so maybe a good place to start is where he starts. Maybe I'll just read the first paragraph. Um, uh, Todd writes, uh, no one theory predominates in film studies today. What is more, different approaches no longer seem to vie for hegemony, but instead seem to accept a peaceful coexistence. Amid this contemporary landscape, a universal and totalizing theory of the filmic experience seems outdated. As the editors of Post Theory put it, film studies is a historical juncture, which might be described as the winning of capital T theory. This winning has occurred largely in response to the universalizing pretensions of the film theory of the 70s and 80s, especially the theory associated with psychoanalysis and Jacques Lacan. So his point Um, here is that, actually, aside from the from the universal applicability of Lacan's concepts, we have a basically a universal uh, misconception of Lacan's concepts with, with regard to mm-hmm. film. Yeah, he's, that, it's interesting where he's saying that that the Lacanian school of film analysis is not is like a kind of misapprehension, according to Todd, of Lacan because of its focus on certain elements of Lacan at the absence of other elements. Yeah. 
And so he says, that yeah, we need to be basically aside from getting away from Lacan, we have to be more Lacanian in our, in our analysis. But what's that you were describing, Michael, where it's like one of the key statements of the Slovenian school is uh, Hegel was not being Hegelian enough. Lacan, the Lacanian school was not being Lacanian enough. Marx was not Marxian enough. Is that right? Yeah. No, it's more like the phrase that's like, rather than rather than virtual reality the 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 reality of the virtual a phrase like that uh, well okay i would like to add this to the to the mix of uh of key uh insights mm-hmm. not as a way of diminishing it but it is a recognizable tool so basically what we're looking at is todd for a few pages outlines the history of traditional lacanian application for film theory mm-hmm. and for him He's saying that the, the focus traditionally was on the imaginary and the symbolic elements of Lacan's triad. And what was missing, of course, was the real. And the primary text historically for Lacanian film analysis was the mirror stage, right? which is very early in Lacan's development. Yeah. And the idea being that in the mirror stage, a child, uh, an infant is looking at a mirror and sees itself, experiences itself as a composite of disparate elements. But in the mirror, it sees itself as whole. And what underlies the traditional analysis is the idea of the mastery of the wholeness of the body. Right. Yeah, the, uh, from that site, the, the gaze represents a kind of point of identification of a, as you said, a kind of wholeness. Yeah, like where, um, the, where the subjecthood of, of the child looking in the mirror is, is sort of sutured together, becomes apparently whole. Is that what and the way, Well, and the way this works in film is like via the, the viewer's gaze in the film, it's a site of ideological uh, like interpolation mm-hmm. or ideological manifestation where through the film, like as in the mirror, the subject comes to understand themselves, right? Right, like the the the, the gaze is somehow uh, like delineates a a certain way of looking, which in which in film studies has has been expressed through the notion of the male gaze. Um, but but like Michael, you were just saying, Todd saying that the register of the real is, is omitted. Well, sorry, before that, let's just fully flesh this out. Todd writes, um, according to Lacanian film theorists, film like the mirror stage is an imaginary deception, a lure blinding us to the underlying symbolic structure. The gaze is a function of the imaginary, the key to the imaginary deception that takes place in the cinema. Yeah, and he, sa- he says further that like the, the focus of this type of critique is almost exclusively on the spectator's identification with the gaze, with this gaze. Um, but it leaves something out. Uh, it leaves out the register of the real. And uh, towards that, he says, the, the omission is crucial because the real provides the key to understanding the radical role that the gaze plays within the filmic experience. Basically to say that it's not as simple as the role of the camera being the medium of the gaze. Yeah. So rather than the gaze being something that the subject has, it's something that the object has. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, the, ga- yeah. the, film, the film gazes. Mm. 
um, because basically the, the the central concern of film analysis was you go into a darkened room like the dream state and you are presented a series of images on the screen and you're primed for ideological interpolation, right? Yeah. Yeah, we also see this, you know, maybe as the, you know, in Adorno's writing on the culture industry, for instance. Yeah. And so they thought that they could problematize the, 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 the way in which film is experienced by the spectator by, you know, like, how would you say it? Like the, the advent of a concept like male gaze comes from the idea that the camera itself isn't neutral. What, what it's capturing is already loaded with meaning. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and of course, like in some sense, that's obviously true, but it's, there's, it's not grasping the full process, I think is what Todd is, is saying here. Yeah. So yeah, like, absolutely. Like, Cause yeah. like Mulvey is, Mulvey's definitely right about the, the way in which women are represented in film in classic Hollywood. Um, and that idea of like, she calls it the looked atness of women in film where, you know, the camera will um, move from like a woman's legs up to her torso, up to her breasts. Clearly like the position is like of that of a desirous subject. Right. But, but, but what she doesn't take into account is, so I guess like the, it's not nitpicky, but it's the idea that the application of gaze isn't Lacanian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, and really what it is, um, is the kind of combining of almost the term from Lacan with a Nietzschean and Foucaultian image of power. Exactly. Which would be like for um, Nietzsche, our desire is for power, right? The, the will to power, right? Yep. And for Foucault, it's that the gaze fundamentally is one of power. Yeah. For example, in the Panopticon. A desire for mastery, like not to see it as not to see desire in in the psychoanalytic sense, but to but to understand it as a desire for power or desire mm-hmm. for mastery. Yeah, desire is rendered in a very kind of like unidirectional way here. Yeah, and and Todd quotes Joan Kopchak here, and such, she says that film theory operated a kind of Foucaultianization of Lacanian theory for both Nietzsche and Foucault. Power wholly informed desire. The filmic experience is thus an experience in which we gain power over the object. And when we desire in the cinema, we desire to dominate. Right. And, and that's where he goes on to um, reference, I think it's Studler or Studler, problematizing it, saying that there's another kind of desire that precedes that of mastery. Because what's implicit in Mulvey and so on is that the sort of fundamental um, motivation is mastery or domination right mm-hmm. and Stoodle is saying that there's one that precedes that which is the desire to submit uh, a masochistic passive desire but Lacan of course doesn't see desire being fundamentally masochistic the idea is that desire is motivated by objet a, a, a mysterious object that the subject posits in the other with the aim of catching the jouissance of the other yeah that was that's crucial and I thought he described it so well in this essay that that the attempt of the subject the subject's gaze is to capture the jouissance of the other he he doesn't say this explicitly but he implies it by saying that like interpreting it in this way is in in some sense phallus phallocentric phallus oriented 
Yeah. Uh, he says that the, rather than seeking power or mastery, in parentheses, the phallus, our desire is drawn to the opposite, the point at which power is entirely lacking, the point of total jouissance. So, like, the, you know, this criticism and, you know, apt criticism in a lot of ways still is kind of like in the mode of, of this phallus oriented seeing. Uh huh. It still takes it for granted that the process. Mm-hmm exists in that way yeah 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 and that was that that's the same move that you were highlighting before pete yeah that it still hinges upon a kind of centering of the very thing that they're critiquing exactly yes yeah Yeah. enjoy the music for a minute disturbs us being the enjoyment of others is a very crucial and interesting point. Definitely. And like the, the things that, that there's two aspects of Lacan's analysis that Todd wants to focus on here is, is the notion of the objet a and, and uh, desire and jouissance, right? Yeah. So there's the Lacanian film school. There's the critique of the Lacanian film school, which is kind of standard these days that it's too like totalizing. Um, and then there's what Todd is advocating that to make, to make even more thoroughly Lacanian film analysis. Right. Yeah. Cause the, I think interestingly, the primary criticism of the post theory crowd is that Lacanian concepts get applied to cinema without regards for the spectator like the experience of the spectator themselves. Uh-huh. So he says something, uh, what is it? Const- they construct theories of spectatorships from which spectators are missing. Yeah, right. That's the criticism and, about Lac- traditional Lacanian film theory. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, the, the, the point that Todd's trying to make is that what, it, what the traditional Lacanian film school misses is the subject's desire and a properly applied Lacanian gaze because it it fails to grasp the role of the real in the dynamic of of the of film yeah this being expressed through the notion of the object ah, right yeah yeah so, so like so like okay if we're, if we're thinking about desire here okay desire in the simplistic term terms of of a desire for mastery or for power okay this is clearly not what Lacan is talking about um, Todd says, desire is motivated by the mysterious object that the subject posits in the other, the object PTA. But the subject relates to this object in a way that sustains the object's mystery. So let's take the first part of that. Like, if we're looking, if we're watching a film, uh, in some way our desire is involved in it, right? I think that's, that's uncontroversial to say. Mm-hmm. Anyone can see that. But there's something in this kind of movement of desire, if we're thinking about it in terms of the objet a, which means Lacan's terms, Lacan's term, the objet a, means you know to a degree like the thing that is the that is in the object that is more than the object. Yeah. So if you think of like an object of our desire, there's something within it that's more than just that mere object, and yeah. that is desire. Yeah. That doesn't it doesn't coincide with with what with what the subject thinks it's desiring in the, in the object. Um, and it doesn't just amount to objectifying, which, you know, 
it's mm-hmm. kind of a silly way of thinking about it. Like, yeah, it's the point at which the gaze or the object l- looks back at us. There's something within it that that reflects back to us, and that's the yeah. gaze. Describing it as yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So Lacan, Todd says, describes this process at work in the visual drive. In the visual drive, what is the subject trying to see? What he is trying to see, make no mistake, is the object as absence. What he is looking for is not, as one says, the phallus, but precisely its absence. So as opposed to this, you know, this reading of film as discerning, you know, the, the vagaries of, of the male gaze or whatever, um, or like ideologically determining us in some way. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's, there's, some kind of, there's some kind of stand-in for the absence of the object to manifest, which was captured very well in The Birds. But there's there are many examples of this in film, which we're going to go into. But yeah, so this 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 idea that that there's yeah there's some kind of like there's there's an absence there's a there's a uh, like an excess in the object of the of of the of the gaze. Well, yeah. I think so he's describing the gaze, that the gaze is the visual form of desire, right? In a way, but it's not actually like like it's not perspicuous. It's not like the gaze. It's a complicated point Lacan is making about the gaze because it's not something that you literally see, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the it's that which you see, which is like more than what you're saying, and less than, I guess, in a way, because it's not yeah. merely the objects of your perception. It's the it's all the implications of that object and what they entail for your desire. Yeah. So, so, so the idea is that the yeah, the object art takes on different forms. So like the object art in the visual field is the gaze. In the oral field, it's the voice. Mm. So the gaze and voice are two different um, forms of the same lost object. So it's the object that marks an absence in the visual or oral field that manifests the subject's desire. Yeah, so well, rather than the nice. gaze being a manifestation of, of, uh, of mastery or an attempt at mastery, uh, Todd says here, the gaze is a blank spot in the subject's look that threatens the subject's sense of mastery. In looking because the subject cannot see the spot directly so there's this disruptive element to the gaze rather than it being uh like um what's the word uh for- formative or something or um <laughs> constitutive so he says grasping the- so the gaze then is objective so he says grasping the gaze as objective rather than subject subjective transforms our understanding of the filmic experience Mm -hmm. instead of being an experience of imaginary mastery it becomes at least potentially the site of a traumatic encounter with the real with Mm -hmm. the utter failure of the spectator's seemingly safe distance and assumed mastery so film can can implicate us in a way that that complicates this whole dynamic that lacanian theory is suggesting that 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 there's that desire is one of mastery yeah so it, it it in, instead of leading us towards a notion of like completeness on the imaginary level, it leads us towards a kind of lacking confrontation with it or a confrontation with lack. Um, something that is paradoxically, he, he describes as, as non-specular and is not graspable in the, in, the, in the image or by the image alone. Yeah, he's saying that this, exactly. this failure to grasp what we desire is what is... Um, enjoyable about film is what is desirable about film yeah because it suggests plentitude plenitude right uh so his example his first example is the uh silence of the lambs uh 
which you know is in some sense a standard kind of detective narrative and almost seems like a tv show that would later you know yeah but what complicates this whole dynamic is our uh fixation with yeah our investment with the serial killer himself with anthony hopkins hannibal lecter with hannibal lecter yeah yeah because we enjoy lecter's desire right yeah we find ourselves implicated as spectators yeah he's not merely the villain he is there's he's like the most kind of like transfixing character of the film um uh and the 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 very famous line um what is it i'm eating uh, a friend over i'm having a friend for dinner yeah i'm having a friend Friend over for dinner yeah um you know he of course mean it's the there's the pun but also that it's like you're enjoying it because you're kind of in on the joke with him. Okay, but I have a question. This is this is a a piece of dialogue. And we're trying to we're trying to talk here about the gaze. Yeah, so I, I like I, I get what you mean, but I think importantly, the idea is the the gaze isn't necessarily actually visual. So there's a difference between like I and E Y E for Lacan. So nice. in the oh. visual field. That stain or the the blot, as Jujet called it in the previous episode, the Hitchcockian blot, mm-hmm. it's a point, it's not an object in the visual field that you can actually identify. We've got to keep in mind that it's the object R, right? It's not an, right. like an empirical, actual material object. It's an absence. And it's the point in the picture of the stain, right? In the an- yeah. anamorphous. Do you think do you think Gijak's term for this is parallax view? Yeah, it moves yes. from looking awry to parallax. Yeah. Uh, and anamorphosis is like his whole work, basically. Yeah, it can it can in some ways be redu- like yeah, condensed into that mm-hmm. formulation. It's a key at least. It's it's a yeah. massive key to interpreting or to reading Gijek. Exactly. And, and parallax view is exactly this: like the the uh, objective field is disrupted by by the the subject, which sort of re- like reformulates it um, as as having its own uh, desire wrapped up in it. And, 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 that, and that way, in the reverse is true. The yeah. the subject is complicated by the objective field as well. Mm-hmm. So neither exists in this kind of total uncontained sense. Yeah, the field is distorted both mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. I read like the whole section on the guys. It's like oh, yeah, 60 pages. Yeah, right. I read that recently and I did not retain anything. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Um, but reading, so I read a fair bit of The Real Gaze, like the Todd McGowan book, not the film analysis part, but all the intro shit. Those 60 pages, this essay. And then I try to find anything on the internet for it and the internet sucks for it. For, like I, I looked for like two days. There's just nothing good on the gaze. 
And Todd's yet, the only yet, guy just, riding on the gays probably. Discourse fucking abounds. You know, yeah. like like if it's like it's like art history 101, basically at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the most discussed. I mean, it's probably it's the most discussed Lacanian term with with the least amount of uh of uh Lacan in it. Lacan in it, yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's it's also the key by which a lot of people attempt to understand contemporary art or art in general, actually, um, as you know, like the medium of looking and seeing, right? Yeah, the the role of the spectator, right? Mm-hmm. And there's you know there's a version I think it's funny this, like there's this there's it's called um, audience what is it called? Like where the audience gets to, has to participate in the in the show itself or whatever. There's that, but it's also like the, the theory of the spectator. Anyway, the, what that what I, that obviously misses is like uh, they're like okay, you know, looking at the spectator as as either passive or active, right? But there's there's like a a, a role that that the subject is playing here that is very different than that. Yeah, I have a friend who was a actor in a play where part of one of the main premises of the play was that the the audience could stop the play and kind of interject themselves uh it was disastrous to the point where the play ended because it had become a site wherein people would stop the play and say that the play was in, insufficient because it did not properly censor them as the viewer in the play which is exactly what they were trying to do yes so it was like yeah, it was a catastrophe, but also like kind of funny. Well, p- part of the difficulty with this episode is that the gaze, what I realize is that why I'm finding it difficult is that the gaze is R, and R is fucking difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Maybe his next example kind of clarifies it a bit. Maybe like it's not merely that we desire what, what um, Hannibal Lecter desires is that there's something crucial in film where the desire process is uh, unclear, right? It's it's kind of hidden. Yeah, it's not and meant. It's it's not meant to in, encounter the object. Desire is not meant to encounter the object. Yeah. So and what's what's more successful, according to 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 Todd, is when we never get a full description of the desire in film, yeah. like where it's where it's forever kind of delayed and never arrived at. Yeah, I want to yeah, use this we example. we in a circle desire, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, want, I used this example early on in the podcast, but I, I kept thinking about it. The, the distinction between the lighthouse and the movie Annihilation. It works because they both, they both feature a, like, they both kind of orbit around uh, something, something being in a lighthouse. And I, it also struck me that, you know, the lighthouse is a nice metaphor for, for a thing that sees, too. Yeah, then they're made, like, roughly the same year, like, within a couple years of each other. Within, within a year, yeah. And have oh, wow. you know, massively different approaches to displaying the lighthouse, right? And the, yeah, so, the, entity, the entity within it. With the entity within. So, uh, at the end of the lighthouse, Robert Pattinson's character is seeing... You're seeing him see the thing in the lighthouse, and it is an incredibly traumatic uh, experience for him. And it's also pretty, you know, it's, it's traumatic to see this. Yeah, it's, it's just sort of like, um, and then 
versus in Annihilation, uh, the thing in the lighthouse is is shown, and it's a guy dancing around for like eleven minutes in a morph suit. It, <laughs> it is severely disappointing <laughs> experience. But I I was just it it struck me that like between the two, you know, the lighthouse understood as the distinction between gaze as objet a as irreducible to the field of vision as non specular as eluding imaginary incorporation as traumatic giving body to the void and in annihilation uh they're trying to kind of domesticate the the object uh and to and to like fully manifest it yeah to describe to not to not leave it a, to make it an object for viewing rather mm-hmm. than uh the much more successful depiction of desire in the lighthouse where which is which is this like you know presence of the void mm-hmm. like and the and the trauma of the void the trauma of the real trauma of the real yeah uh yeah so todd todd uses the film the duel to describe this process spielberg's first film mm-hmm. and which it's very good it. yeah. yeah uh it's maybe his it's like kind of i think his attempt at kind of a like a hitchcocky type thriller definitely um what came Where, first, Duel or Road Games? Duel. Road Games is like 10 years later. But Road Games is the Australian Road, one? Yeah. yeah. Road Games is awesome. It's like... It's really good. It's, a, it's another... I love like highway thrillers. Yeah. The trucks. The yeah, Hitcher. Uh, Hitcher? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The Hitcher. That's, that one's great. Um, Kiwi film. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, so Duel... Like, Todd describes that, that what happens in Duel is that the... Uh, so a man, uh, a businessman is, is driving, uh, and it becomes confusingly, uh, the, the focus of a truck driver's rage who's trying to kill him and he doesn't know why. Uh, and what Todd describes as the particularly successful part of the film is that you never find out why, and you never see the, you never actually see the driver of the truck. You're just located in this kind of hysterical moment of like, what does he want? Uh, and it's the answer is never provided. Right. And he says that, that it, this reveals that the gaze, that the gaze as object uh, um, constantly eludes our grasp, not because it is a transcendental object existing beyond all signification, but because it gives body to avoid. Right. And that's because you can never know the desire of the other. Mm-hmm. Right? It's also, I think, in North by Northwest, right? Like Roger Thornhill or Cary Grant's character be, kind of becomes Roger Thornhill um, accidentally. And he spends the movie kind of trying to figure out, like, get, both dealing with the repercussions of becoming this, this non-person, this person that doesn't actually exist, and simultaneously, like, occupying the role of, of a Roger Thornhill. Like, he... Uh, He's like kind of he gives body to this to this void of Roger Thornhill, right? And when and when Roger Thornhill is like the closest he comes to being a person is is being an empty suit. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you never figure out why the the kind of crux of the action is occurring. Uh, okay, so so what then is Todd saying with this with these examples? He says that. They're radical in the sense of their fidelity to the idea of the gaze as fundamentally non-specular, as absent in the picture. 
gaze is the object cause of the spectator's desire, but not, but the spectator never encounters the gaze. That's right. Which is the problem with annihilation once again. So Lacanian theory, and I think what he's describing is the kind of like prevailing perception these days is that uh, there's something kind of inherently problematic about the way the film works, right? In that it, it either ideologically commands us or we or like rather like in the way that it ideologically commands us. Like I found myself wondering, like if you're a film critic who views film this way, like why do you even like film? Like what is, yeah. What is preferable about film? And is there a way to enjoy it without that? Because I think from that perspective, there isn't. So that's me is a very, very like joyless way of encountering film. Mm-hmm. So he has this whole bit about fantasy. Should we talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. So Todd thinks that there is kind of a way out here, a, a way that film can act that is um, simultaneously like, yes, is like subject to ideology, but also resists it. Mm-hmm. So like there, there is a way that that film utilizes fantasy to to domesticate, he says, the object gaze. Mm-hmm. But there's also a, a disruption that occurs with fantasy. And which, which, you know, our interaction with film doesn't just have to be with, you know, come from like the, the obscurity of, of art house movements. Like we can see this most profoundly in, in classical Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. Like the way that fantasy enters um, film is that like as you, your example of Annihilation, it gives us a conclusion to desire. It gives us a kind of ne- comfortable narrative in mm-hmm. which the, the trauma of our desire is resolved. Uh, you know, the, the classic romantic film, for instance, that sort of thing. Yeah, that he says uh, stages a fantasy scenario that solves the impossibility presented by the gaze. Yeah, fantasy provides a rationale for the inherent deadlock of desire. It constructs a scene in which the jouissance we are deprived of is, is concentrated in the other who stole it from us. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's a way of avoiding, avo- for Todd is suggesting, avoiding the, the real of the gaze. Mm-hmm. A comfortable way of, of suturing over the, that trauma. And at the same time, fantasy reveals the inconsistency of an ideology. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because it's it's supposedly like it's a it, it's it the 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 function that it performs is a covering over, but it but it never achieves its aim. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like if it needs to cover over, then there's something that there's an inconsistency there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is so this very need for it. Yeah, this is Zizek's point. Like again, like in Sublime Objects, for instance, where like there's no outside of outside of small or outside of fantasy, outside of ideology. And, but yet there are, there are inconsistencies in it. Yeah. So it's, it's there that you have an encounter with the real mm-hmm. in that inconsistency, that fantasy is there to cover over, but it always fails. There's a, a, a negative, a negativity to fantasy as well. That works right. against the, the positive instantiations of it apparently in the film. Because the idea is that fantasy provides some kind of screen in front of the gaze that allows you to avoid the trauma. So fantasy functions as a way of avoiding the real of the gaze. But at the same time, its presence belies this contradiction. Right. And this is the point of, look, of looking at 
film in terms of Objet A, which I, I believe I poo-pooed uh, a couple months ago. Uh, <laughs> what, are you, what did you say? I, the notion that such an interpretation amounts to basically saying, and this is the Objet A, ta-da! Uh-huh. Um, which, is, which was a dumb thing to say. Um, because, and this is going back to our last episode too, like Zizek interprets the quilting point not as not in terms of a master signifier, but in terms of the object. Ah. So like that, that little key or blot or stain in the film that is the site of, of the sort of confounded desire of the, of the subject, the, the point at which the, the work sort of looks back at you, not expressly, but, but kind of in these terms of the, that is complicated by, by the object and, and fantasy and desire. Yeah, it's the cause of desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe what you might have been resistant to is the suggestion that that film must always be seen this way. But I think that's kind of what Todd is saying here is that, no, there's there's moments where film is successful at this. But mm-hmm. and his problem with the like the client theorists or the other the uh, post theory is that it kind of renders film as like always a process of something. Yeah. I think you know? the term domestication is really good. Yeah. Uh, however, Todd does say something here that I that I think is going a bit far. He says, he says, instead of lamenting the phantasmatic dimension of the cinema, we should view it as an opportunity for an encounter with the gaze as an encounter with the real that otherwise would be impossible. Otherwise would be impossible? I'm not so sure. Like, is film really the only way that, that you can encounter this? I think the reason why he says it it is the only way is because for Lacan, the scopic drive, so the drive of like the visual itself is, is so primary. Right. But so no one, so like before film was invented, no one in, no one had ever uh, lamented. The so it's, it's, up, it's other than, it's other than dreams and viewed it as an opportunity for an encounter with the gay as an encounter with the real, that didn't happen before film. I know what you mean. I think the idea is, though, that the the visual field is so. How would you put it? I'm not doubting well, that using he, that the, film the, is the maybe phrase impossible. There is not is not innocuous. He means it in the Lacanian sense as the object of being an impossible object. No, he says he says we should view it as an opportunity to encounter the gaze. Wait, sorry, an opportunity for an encounter with the gaze. I think he's. I think he's suggesting that film is the only way to encounter this, encounter the real in this way. Read, read it one more time. Okay. So he says, instead of, instead of lamenting the phantasmatic dimension of the cinema, we should view it as an opportunity for an encounter with the gaze, dash an encounter with the real that would otherwise be impossible. Yeah. Not that viewing film in that way would otherwise be sorry. Not that viewing it in the film would otherwise be impossible, but that the encounter. With the of the gaze in the film, the I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I read that. I was like, wait, the film is the only place where this he happens. Means it in terms of the impossible object, I think, in film. But then it's just a statement that <laughs> what we encounter in film is uh, is impossible without the encounter of film. No, no. What we encounter in the film, in the like when we're encountering the object on the film, uh, rendered in such a way, like. Sorry, read it one more time. (laughs) 
Or I'll just look this here, up. I'll, here, I'll, I'll send you, I'll send it to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Michael, what do you think? I'm not sure now. There you go. I, I totally understand what you're driving at. Let's have a look. I, I think he was just getting a little carried away with his point. That would otherwise oh, be yeah. impossible. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. No, he is saying he's he is saying that. So yeah, come on. I don't know. Because like either he got way, carried away. Yeah, he got <laughs> carried away. Or he's saying that what we encounter in film is only possible through film. It's like, well, yeah. Well, that's not such a terrible point. It's not, but like it's 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 it strikes me as a very as like not like the like a huge point to make like because it's circular. Yeah, it's like what you yeah. get out of visiting Paris is by visiting Paris, you know. Yeah, right. I see what you. I see what you mean. How much? How long have we been going here? I think we're good to to to. We've been going for a while, but we're. I'm gonna have to cut a lot out. But I think this this kind of this discussion is actually interesting. When we don't have Jake here, we're about we're about ten to fifteen minutes short. Yeah, we need Jake's. We need Jake's uh, prolixity. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you want to bitch about David Lynch for a second? <laughs> nah. We all know we we know how we're we know how we feel about David Lynch. He sucks. But have we ever said it on the podcast before? I know. I know. Many times people going on about how great David Lynch is. So wait. Okay. So like, well, so listen, the culmination. Okay. That's all I need. To yeah. Say. It is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so so where where Todd brings. David Lynch into this is that he thinks that David Lynch is able to combine in a in a convincing way the 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 way in which uh, the object of desire is hidden, say in Duel, uh, and a, and the kind of like use of fantasy to uh, like in a successful way, rather than fantasy being kind of just like enacting ideology. He thinks that David Lynch is kind of able to contain both both. The image of kind of like the gaze and desire and fantasy within the same film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just kind of think that David Lynch is annoying. What do you- <laughs> Counterpoint: David Lynch Counterpoint. is annoying. Yeah, he's just annoying. <laughs> I always, I always thought that you know maybe this is just my poor taste and I just don't get it. And maybe that's probably what it is, but it doesn't work on me. It doesn't work with me. So nah, they, I mean, brutally like. It still feels like every time I watch a David Lynch film, I'm like, oh, it's like um, someone gave a first year film student a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) In one of the uh, Hitchcock interviews I was listening to, the interviewer was saying to Hitchcock that in film schools, what you see is in their first year, everybody creates a film like Bergman and in their final year, they make a film like Hitchcock. Well, yeah, well, I mean, with all this cock say to that. Well, it's funny because, like, a lot of that, this might hold because, like, Spielberg's first film was basically doing, like, Hitchcock. Uh, yeah. I think, like, a lot of great directors from that era are kind of doing their own version of Hitchcock. Brian De Palma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Truffaut. Louis Mallet. Who's Louis Mallet? You made that one we were talking about a couple weeks ago, uh, Elevator to the Gallows. That's his first movie. It's really good. Um, he also made um, uh, My Dinner with Andre. 
Oh, right. Yeah. I think I was a bit too pissed to write all that down. So it's funny, you know, like one of, one of the general points that Ty's making here is that like film theory uh, was in, kind of led astray by this overemphasis on, on a misinterpretation of Lacan, um, which, which had the effect basically of simplifying the relationship between subject and object, between spectator and the images on the screen. Um, and that and it condemned its adherence to to analyses that never saw the traumatic the tra- sorry the traumatic nature of the gaze in the cinematic experience mm-hmm. he says that like fantasy film is a knife that cuts both ways that sorry that cuts in both directions it can provide crucial support for ideology filling in the blank spot within the structure of ideology but it can also and this is what traditional economy film theory missed take us to to take us to an encounter with the gaze that would otherwise be obscured in our experience of social reality, which he went a little farther by saying film is <laughs> the only place that, that you can do this. I, I would also say that you can do this in, in literature or uh, maybe even in philosophy, who knows? Um, but, but yeah, that's the, the, the base. Yeah. That there's something like, this is what we were saying earlier. It's like, are we to condemn films to be purely kind of like, like just, a way that we become kind of indoctrinated uh or is there something in it that can be like a way of um like depicting how desire works and yeah and uh, like and kind of like like sustaining the the traumatic core of the real mm-hmm. like sustaining that as a function of the gaze Mm-hmm. Rather than in the thing I was referencing earlier, that silly YouTube video, which which ended by saying, like, I want to read you the, the last thing that they said. It was, it was quite funny. The film shows us how true love, the willingness to gaze upon someone, to truly see them and accept the same in return, shows that love can stand the test of time. I love that last part of the line. <laughs> just, it's like, that's just not, like, even from what she's saying, there's, it's not an obvious, like, implication. <laughs> no. And, and this idea of like this, well, this domesticated gaze, right? Like the, the uh-huh. one that the gaze that that fully knows itself and assumes itself and and sees truly the other and the other truly seeing them. Like this is yeah, not film, what Lacan is saying. Yeah, this. and film is like the like at its best when we're we're theorizing about it. There's ambiguity intertwined with it, right? It's 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 that thrill, that suspense, that implication. The like, what is what is depicted, but is about what is not depicted, right? Uh, yeah, which makes you know, which makes Hitchcock's movies we were talking about last week, a film like Rear Window, such an amazing encounter with this idea of of the gaze mm-hmm. and fantasy. Like, you know, that's good. In, I think in Go Pervert's ahead, Guide, in Pervert's Guide to Cinema, Shijek says that cinema teaches us how to desire, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if desire is always the desire of the other, it's the manner in which the visual field is organized for our desire. Right. So the and gaze functions yeah. there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does desire uh, certainly not being getting what you want? Because right. that's, that's kind of one on one. Getting what you desire uh, leads always to, to the perpetuation of desire. and is is deeply unsatisfying yeah 
which is why the ends of film, why the end of films is always su- such a letdown. Much like the end of this podcast. So thank you everyone for listening. Music <laughs> and so on where you do not get what you want. Uh, Fair enough. Um, I think that's a good place to end it, fellas. Uh, yeah, so Jesus and so on, Michael, Peter, Will. Um, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Enjoy. Thank you.